Good morning to those of you here in the Modern Service. Had an opportunity to welcome and to introduce Jerry over in the Contemporary Service. And uh, let me just add how much uh, I've grown to love Jerry and Lynn already. Spent some time with them, pastor to pastor, and now uh, just grateful for the opportunity to serve with Jerry in the days ahead of the Lord allows. So thank you for allowing us to walk through that business item with you, and I think you will grow to love uh, him as well. A couple of things that uh, also I wanted to share with you real quickly out in the Welcome Center for both rooms now as we gather together in the Welcome Center, we have our journals in, which I'm very, very excited about. And I mentioned last week how in 2018, we're going to be preaching through an overview of the scriptures. So starting January the 14th, I'll begin in Genesis chapter 3, and Lord willing, we're going to make our way week by week all the way to Revelation. Now, the exciting thing is is that we're going to be able to do this together, and we're inviting every single one of you to play a part or to participate, rather, in reading the scriptures with us every single week. We're inviting and encouraging many of you to join together in discipleship groups and make the center of your group the passages that we go through on a weekly basis. And so I'm holding this journal because this is a tool that we think will just help you. Um, It's a tool that I've used for a couple of years now. It's just a simple journal. But inside this journal is the reading plan that we're going to follow along with um, how you walk through a daily quiet time, and so you'll have an opportunity along with the passages, so you'll have everything you need in this one book. You come Sunday, take sermon notes in it, and then you head to your D group or you head to your life group, take notes, head to your personal time with the Lord. So this could be your walk with Jesus in 2018. And so I'm encouraging you and I'm challenging you to read the scriptures with us next year. And so it's all laid out here. I'm not going to say too much more about it other than $5 for this. We're absorbing the cost of much of it, but $5 and you can get them over in the Welcome Center. So grab one. They're beautiful. They're going to be helpful. Give it away to somebody. Give it to a student. Give it to someone who will be able to use this. And it's going to be a great, great journey in the scriptures together. And then secondly, I want you to pray. And we're going to stop right now, and we're going to pray for Jesse Lee. So we heard this morning um, that Jesse hasn't been doing well this morning, and so we don't know the full story. Jesse is one of our staff members. If you're new to Taylor's, just not sure who Jesse is. Jesse is one of our staff members, been here for a, for a while, an invaluable person when it comes to our, our media, our worship team. And we love Jesse, and we love Tara, we love the kids. Uh, Jesse's mom and dad, Mike and Julie, are here as well. Tara's parents have flown back from overseas to be with them for a little bit, so they're here in town. But I, I just, we just need to pray, gang. He, he's been battling cancer and infection, needs a bone marrow transplant, but it's just been a, a road in which it's been difficult and hard. And so we pray, and we pray that the Lord would heal him. And we pray that the Lord would heal him quickly because it's been a long, hard battle. But we also pray in accordance with the will of God for the glory of Christ to be made known through Jesse Lee somehow, some way. So will you bow your head and pray with me now and, and just ask the Lord to heal this dear, dear brother at this critical time. And I don't want to overdo it. I just don't know much. But I want to stress this. We really need uh, the Lord's 
help. So let's pray together. Father, we ask that you heal Jesse this morning. He's a brother that we love and his family and the kids. And Father, we just ask that you would encourage them this morning. And I I don't know what is going on in his body even as we speak. There could be a turnaround. There could be uh, just a movement, a, a resurgence of his systems in his body. But Lord, I ask through the power of Jesus and for the glory of Christ that you would heal him. But Lord, we ask boldly for that, but we also ask with humility, knowing that you will do what is right, regardless whether you heal today, whether you heal tomorrow, whether in the days ahead or sometime in the future in ways that we don't know. Lord, I pray that you would just give strength and encouragement to Jesse and Tara, especially Tara as she has walked with her husband as he's been in the hospital for so long. And so, Lord, hear the cries of your people. I know many have been praying regularly and consistently, but, Lord, we ask, would you please move and do it for your glory and for the sake of your servant? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. First Peter chapter 5 this morning, and uh, we're going to, wrap up this wonderful, wonderful study in this letter. And I told the first hour, whenever preachers walk away from a book study, it's almost as if they're losing a friend in the author. And so this morning, I say goodbye to Peter, as I've spent a lot of time with him over the last few weeks. But I pray that the Word of God has been rich and meaningful to you as it's been to me over these last few weeks. And Peter comes to a conclusion here, because remember, he's writing to a people who are suffering and those who are hurting, those who are discouraged in their faith. Perhaps they want to walk away. Perhaps it's too much to bear. And so he's teaching and he's laying the foundation for them as they walk through their suffering and they walk through discouragement and as they walk through hard times. And he comes to the end with a word to the worried. And he wants us to understand that as we go through life and it's difficult, and it's hard, there is a comforting word and really some commands for us to follow. And so we want to finish in 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 6 this morning, with a word to the worried. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. The worries that we have might be a little bit different than the worries that they had the first century. We, this is Christmas week. We're coming together at the end of this week here, our Christmas Eve services. You'll be with your families, and you might be worried about all sorts of things. Even right now, some of the things might be filling your head, like, you know, the, the relatives are coming over to the house. Now, that can present a lot of worries. <laughs> You'd be worried, do we have enough beds? Do we have enough bathrooms? Are there enough seats at the table? And then, then the question, you know, what? What are we going to eat? Is it going to be turkey or is it going to be ham this year? Well, all the relatives like it. What about the nut allergies? All right, you mamas are going through all of that. Are the decorations good enough this year? And then the gift giving. All right, so, so here's the thing with kids. We still have kids at home. Here's the thing. Will the kids like the gifts? Will they be thrilled? Will it be one of those magical hallmark moments where they cry and they weep and they throw their arms around us with great joy and with thanksgiving? Will it be the right color? Will it be the right size? If we spent more on one or the other, will they know and will they care? All of these things are kind of running through your mind. And we worry about so many different things. But Peter comes to us, and Peter comes to people who are suffering with worries that are much, much greater than ours. And I know here in this room, we just prayed for one. There are worries that are overwhelming us as we move into Christmas week. 
And some of it could be your, your, your kids, or some could be your, your aging parents. Some could be those who are sick. The, it could be a financial concern for 2018. You're staring down the barrel of a gun when it comes to your family and providing in 2018. It could be all sorts of things. And every single one of us walks in with guilt and regrets and fears and anxieties and discouragement, discontentment and worry. And so what is the word of God for you this morning? Here's what Peter says. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6. We stand for the reading of the word this morning and listen to what Peter writes as he finishes this great, great letter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, the, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, growls around like a, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to the eternal glory in Christ, this God of all grace will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word this morning. Humble yourselves, Peter says, under the mighty hand of God. Thought number one, if you're taking notes, transfer control of your circumstances to God's hand because God is more powerful than you are. All right, thought number one, right out of our, right of our text. Humble yourselves. Transfer control of your lives under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. So let's unpack that just a little bit. So in the previous verse, look at your text, verse 5. Peter wraps up the section before it with this word. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. We just wrapped up this um, our time last week with this call to shepherds, to shepherd the flock. So Peter looks at those in the congregation, and he says, um, the shepherds are to be submissive to Christ. But you, and he points out the younger ones, those who were more than likely the rebellious ones, those who were going to stir up trouble, the ones who were, were, were brave enough to confront and, to, and to, to rebel against the shepherds and the elders. He looks at him and he says, listen, the shepherds are to be submissive to Christ. You are to be submissive to their authority. Just as Peter unpacked, you're to be submissive to political authorities, just as you're to be submissive to your employer. You're to be submissive in the home, husbands to Christ, wives to the husbands. So, too, you younger ones, the rebellious ones, be subject to the elders. Now, listen, here's where he ties it all together, not only last week, but heading into this week. Then he says, so clothe yourselves with humility, all of you towards one another, for God resists, God deters, God pushes against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So here's the glue between last week and this week is humility. 
humility. He puts you the clothes on of humility. Sheep, be submissive to, to the shepherds and to the elders, but then amongst one another, clothe yourself with humility. Serve one another as Christ has served you. Maybe in Peter's mind, he's thinking back to the Last Supper. When Christ takes off his outer coat, he lays it to the side. He picks up an, uh, the slave of a, the apron of a slave and he puts it on and he kneels down and, and he washes the feet. And Peter, as he looks down at Jesus, he sees this, this cloth, this cloth, this apron on him. And he says to the sheep, he says, listen, the same cloth of servanthood where, where Christ lowered himself to serve me, and he washed my dirty feet, then you put on that same cloth of servanthood with one another. This is how you're to function. This is what humility is. So then he bridges it. So therefore, with this type of humility in mind, kneeling down, washing feet with an apron on, this same type of humility then needs to be exercised underneath the mighty hand of God. So as you're suffering and as you're hurting, transfer control of your circumstances from your hand and put it into or under the mighty hand of God. And what is Peter thinking here when he mentions the hand of God? You notice he, 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 and he, and he even has an adjective there, the mighty hand of God. So, so in the Old Testament, whenever you'd see the hand of God, here's what you would see. Primarily, it was God's power moving miraculously in impossible situations on behalf of his people. And the time that the children of Israel would love to sing about the hand of God working is when they were enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And so God comes in with the plagues and with the Passover, and the people are sprung free with under God's mighty hand. And then they come to the Red Sea, and they're trapped, and they can't move, and the Egyptians are coming. God's mighty hand opens up the sea, they cross over, they, they go into the promised land, and it is there that they enter in, and they see this big city called Jericho, and God brings the walls of Jericho down. So when Peter is talking about the mighty hand of God, from the very beginning, the people would see his hand as moving and as mighty on their behalf all-powerful. So Peter says, listen, for some of you who are worried and for some of you who, who are filled with care and some, some of you who are suffering, here's the issue. You are keeping control of the circumstances and of the suffering and the hurt. You are keeping it tightly in your control and you're worried. Worried is a form of pride because worry says... I want control of this situation, and I don't have control of this situation, and until I do, I'm going to be anxious about it. Until I've got this thing figured out under my power and under my control, I'm going to worry. So Peter says, release control from your hand and put it under the mighty hand of God. Because he, he sprung them free from Egypt. Look at, look at what he did. You know what else? I thought about this as well. When, when Peter says this phrase, the mighty hand of God, he's pleading with believers, listen, you're worried and you're suffering and you're hurting. 
God is more powerful than you are. So why are you holding on control? Give it, give it, give it to, give it to the mighty hand of God. I can't help but wonder if Peter sees the hands of Jesus. Can you imagine this? We, here we are in Christmas, and Jesus is a, is a baby, and, and, and he's got hands, and he's got feet. John says, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've held him. And the hands of Jesus, can you imagine? These are the hands of God himself. And, and so Jesus comes on the scene. Maybe Peter was there when Jesus spit on the ground. This blind man comes to him. Jesus spits on the ground. He, he takes the mud with his hands. His hands have mud all over, and he, he just puts it on the eyes of that blind man. That blind man can see miraculously. And there's Jesus smiling with his dirty, dirty hands. Or how about when he fed the 5,000? Here they have no food. Thousands of people, 5,000 men. That's not counting the women and all the kids. And Jesus takes his hands and, and he prays, blesses, and then he, he, he starts, he starts um, tearing apart the fish and the bread, and his hands are, are filled with crumbs and filled with all this food. And he, he just keeps handing it out and breaking it, handing it out. And, 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 and Peter's looking at the hands of this man saying, that's a mighty hand of God. And, and, and then in the storm, they're, they're crying out, we're going to die. We're going to die. Are you ever feel like that? We're going to die, and, 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 and there's no way we're overwhelmed. There's no, there's no way we're going to get out of this. It's over. And, and Jesus just stands up and with, with a simple phrase, peace, be still. And maybe he holds up his hands and he says, Peace be still. And Peter says, that's the mighty hand of God. And so is it any wonder that Peter looks at human beings and we're frail and we're fallen and we need help and we're discouraged? And he says, humble yourselves under this mighty hand so that in due time he can lift you up transfer the control of your situation over to him. What a great word, control. Control, this is why we worry, control. But then secondly, look at what he says. Casting all your care on him for he cares for you. So this is how you do it. This is how you do it. You, you, you cast all your care on him. Number two, release worry completely because God cares for you more than you care for yourself. So the reason that we can humble ourselves under God's mighty hand is he's more powerful than we are. But then secondly, the reason that we can release worry completely is because he cares more about you than you care about yourself. Now, we love ourselves deeply. There's no one that loves me more than me. I had to laugh this past week when we were watching the news, and you know how the reports come out about how spending's going when it comes to Christmas. And, you know, they say, Here, here's the latest updates with, with how uh, the stores are doing. And then they threw in this last line at the end. I thought it was great. They said, but we've also noticed a trend where there's an increase in self-gifting. <laughs> in other words, people go to the store, and they, they're getting presents for so-and-so, and so and they're like, hmm, I, I like that present, right? And I had to laugh when I think about this, this idea of self-gifting. I mean, they had a picture on the news of this package. And I, I'm thinking, like, what, what do you do when you self-gift? I mean, do you wrap it, and you put it under the tree, and then at Christmas, you come right now, you oh, a present for me. I wonder what it could be, right? I, I mean, do you do that? And, and then you, we kind of chuckle about it, but here's the reality. When I go to the store, I might walk in with a, with a list for three people. I walk out with things for myself as well. I know exactly what it is. Why? Because I care more and think more about myself than anybody else does. And this is why we don't release worry, though. 
Because we think we're the only one that cares. We're the only one that knows. We're the only one who cares about our kids. We're the only one that cares about our aging parents. We're the only one that cares about there's nobody other on this planet that cares more than I do. And so you just hold on. And Peter says, you need to release worth. You, 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 you need to release it completely because God cares for you more than you care for yourself. God knows what's going on in your marriage. God knows what's going on at work. God knows what's going on in Jesse Lee's body right now. God knows. And God cares. And God has great power. It's the mighty hand. But he also has great care and great compassion. And he knows it. And he knows timing. He knows timing well. And he knows what is best for us in all of these situations are you wiser than god is so peter is saying listen humble yourselves under under his hand and cast everything completely on him your worry your anxiety all of it it's a term it's using the gospel of luke when uh, on releasing and casting it's a term in which you you actually throw something onto somebody else. So it was a term that was used when Jesus was, was going to ride down the hill into Jerusalem, and he had this donkey, and I'm assuming the donkey was bareback because they begin to take off their coats, and they throw it onto the donkey, and they just send it goodbye. You know, here, donkey, you keep that. Jesus, you keep that. There it goes. Down the hill. Down he goes. It's gone. Release. That's the same term. But here's what we do now. I brought my football with me here. This is one of the footballs in my office. For those of you who are straining, wondering, what is that? It is not Clemson, and it is not South Carolina, okay? This is the University of Utah. You say, why in the world do you have a University of Utah football pastor? It's because um, we have a church plant there in Salt Lake City, Utah. We've been working for years there. And so the North American Mission Board sent um, a reminder to pray. And so I've got, um, and they know a way to a pastor's heart is through sports. And so they sent um, one of these. They also sent a football uh, for Brigham Young University as well. So they're sitting there in my office. You ever come visit, you'll see them there. And so I pray. So I bought it with me. So, but but this, this is your worry, okay? This is your fear. Whatever it is going through your mind right now, this is, this is, this is it. And here's what we do. We cling so tightly to our worries sometimes. We get so tied up in knots, and we just hold on and we squeeze it. Now, you notice that my football, when I cling so tightly, it loses its air. It needs um, a little bit of air. No jokes about Deflate Gate or Tom Brady or anything like that. He is the greatest quarterback in the history of the game from the greatest program in the history of the game. I'll put that in there. But we cling. We hang on so tight. We squeeze the air out of the thing. But then here's what we do. Well, we got to go to work, and so we jump in the car, and we take, our, we take our worry, and we set it in the seat next to us, just so it's right there. It's always with us. And then um, when we, we get into the office, we, we put it on the table in front. We have it there beside of our desk so we can always see it. We're, we're always worried. We're always concerned about it. We walk home. We walk in, into dinner, and, and, and our families are there. But you know what? Here's our worry. We're just going to put it right in front here because it's front and center of my life. And I've got to, you know, I'm more powerful than God is. I care more than God does. So I'm going to hang on to this thing, and we put it in the dinner table there. At night, you ever wake up at 2 and 3 in the morning with worry and with anxiety and care? I do. You know why? It's because this is a, is a pillow. We, we, put it, we put it right next to our, our head so that when I wake up at 2 and 3, oh, there it is. Whew. Oh, yeah, I got to worry about that. And then you don't sleep till 5 a.m. Then you wake up in the morning. Man, I slept horribly. Why? Because you had your, your worry with you. 
Sometimes we'll go to a friend and we'll say, here, um, here's what I'm concerned about. Here's my worry. Could you, could you take a look at that? And they, they walk away. We, we quickly say, oh, I'm still worried about because I, I have trust issues and I, I, have, I have care issues about my own heart because I, I got to work my way out of this. So please give it back. It's never out of our sight. It's always with us. And we live life. Listen, we live life as if that was normal to carry our worry around with us. And Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Kenny Doherty, stand up. Here, here's what it looks like. You ready? Kenny Doherty, stand up. I wish I was over there in the, in the uh, second service because I'd love to wing this thing right here. But this is it right here. This is my worry. You ready, Kenny? Here we go. Here's my worry. There it is. All right, Kenny Doherty. All right. All right. Who has possession of my worry? It's gone. I've just given it over to the Father. You take it. You keep it. Kenny, I'll need that afterwards, so don't sneak off with that thing. Don't re-gift that or anything like that, all right? But we release it. It's gone. This is how Peter says you're to live. Because why? Because why? Because you've humbled yourself under the control of the mighty hand. And the Father cares more about me and knows more about me and loves me and my family and my ministry more than I do. So I give it to you. Father, this is what some of you need to do. And then, and then he says this, thirdly. He says, uh, be sober, be watchful. Because you have an enemy, the devil, who is growling and prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he made of ours. Number three this morning, be on guard and resist the devil because he wants to destroy you. Listen, let me repeat that again. Be on guard and resist the devil because he wants to destroy you. I love what John MacArthur said in his commentary on this. It's a great, great word. He said, here is how we understand the devil. Here's how we understand spiritual darkness. He says that, that we can either be really, really indifferent to it as if it really doesn't exist. We're, we're almost ignorant of it or play ignorant, just indifferent, it doesn't happen. Or we indulge sin to the point where spiritual darkness begins to take hold and to take root in our lives in a way that destroys us. The devil, we don't have time to unpack who the devil is entirely, but, but Isaiah and Ezekiel both give us an understanding, a little biography of this, of this angel who God created, but he rebelled against God. God threw him out of heaven, and not only him, but all of the forces, all of the angels and those who, who followed him and rebelled against God, so God threw him out. And so the devil takes up this incredible role of leading the forces of spiritual darkness. Now, the devil can't be everywhere at all times. People think the devil can't, he, he's not, he's not omnipresent. He can't be at all, in all places at all times. But he is a powerful, powerful force that leads, Ephesians 6 and 11 and 12, he leads these armies, these spiritual forces, these spiritual powers, he leads them, and they rail against Christ, and they rail against the church, and here's what they want to do. They want to take out you, the people of Taylor's First Baptist Church, one at a time. 
They want to take you out, devour you, as a lion would roar, as a lion would eat and devour. They want to take you out. And sometimes the evil that the spiritual forces bring upon the church and bring upon believers or bring on your marriage, sometimes those forces are very violent and very direct. Peter writes here, he says, resist them firm in the faith, knowing that some of your brothers suffered the same types of, of suffering that you do. So I woke up this morning, I go into my office early, I'm getting ready, I'm, I'm kind of checking the news, scrolling through the news. And while you were sleeping or sometime late last night, as a group of people were meeting in a Methodist church there in Pakistan, not far from the Afghani border, terrorist comes in, blows himself up, seven people are killed. Just like that church in, in Texas, just the first week in November, someone comes in, and, and I get it. He's probably mental issues, emotional issues. I, I don't know. I don't know fully the whole story. But, but when he walks in, he just slaughters close to 30 people who are worshiping Jesus. And people say, well, how in the world can that humanly happen? Well, there is a human element. There is sin. There is brokenness and fallenness, and there are the, the intentions and the, of, of evil in people's hearts. Yes, but I'm convinced that there are times when those spiritual forces take sin and they just wreak havoc violently and destructively. And the lion just roars and says, look at them suffer. And Peter says, I, I want you to know he, he's prowling. He, he's looking to destroy, and he's looking to scare. And spiritual forces are real. I love what John Grudem wrote in his commentary, and I'm going to quickly go through this because this really helped me see this a little bit more clearly because when we talk about spiritual forces and darkness, how do they work? How do they work in concert with our sin and our flesh? Let me read through these really, really quickly. How do you see demonic influence in the New Testament? Bizarre or violently irrational evil behavior, especially in, a, in opposition to the gospel or to Christians. How about number two? Malicious slander and falsehood and speech. We see the evil one. We see spiritual forces working in with how we speak to one another. You know what? This thought hit me yesterday as I was getting ready. The evil one loves to roar like in Pakistan and in Texas. But the evil one loves to whisper in the seat next to you a falsehood or gossip or slander because he knows what the tongue can do. He knows. He knows. Thirdly, increasing bondage to self-destructive behavior. Fourth, stubborn advocacy of false doctrine. Fifth, sudden and unexplained onslaughts of emotions, such as fear or hatred or depression or anxiety or violent anger, which are contrary to God's will and inappropriate, or a deep spiritual uneasiness. And then Grudem issues a caution. He says, these things are apparent, but much evil in the world is not directly from Satan or demons, but simply sin remaining in our own hearts in the lives of unbelievers around us. I think you get this story. The devil wants to devour, and so we're to be alert, we're to be watchful, we're to be vigilant, we're not to be indifferent, we're not to be indulgent in our sin, we're to be aware, and then he says, resist him firm in the faith. Resist him. 
Now, now this is interesting. Please forgive your pastor because, because I, I, I get kind of nerdy about words sometimes in the New Testament. It's so rich. This word for resist, all right, how do I confront the devil? Some people, I'm going to get the devil. I'm going to charge him. And I grew up in a church like that. I would hear often, charge Satan. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says be alert and vigilant and be ready and looking for spiritual darkness, but then resist him firm in your faith. Here's the word resist. I love this. It's the Greek word stereos, where we get our word stereo, which means you in your faith are firm. You are to the left and to the right. On both ends, there's no instability. And you are in the left and on the right. You are firm and you are stable and you are centered on Christ and you are centered on the word of God. You are centered on the word that equips you to fight this battle. So your resistance is not your passion and your zeal to overcome the evil one. Your resistance is your refuge in Christ and in his word. And if you on the left and on the right stand firm with him, here's what Brother James says. James says, resist the devil, and he will what? He will flee from you. Why? Because of Christ and his word. Run to the word. Don't panic, but just run to the word of God and hide there. Do you ever wake up some mornings, and you are so distraught, and you are so discouraged? It is almost as if, I don't know if it's just me, but there are some mornings where I just wake up and you're just so distraught and you're just so discouraged. You're overwhelmed. I'm not practicing 1 Peter chapter 5 and the earlier passages. And I wake up and it's almost as if there's just this blanket around you. You ever wake up like that? And those are the times where you just come to Christ and his word and say, I, I don't know if I'm just highly emotional today. I don't know if I'm just overly worried today. I don't know what's happening today. My sense, it could be spiritual oppression. And I run to Christ. I did it this week. I run to him. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I run to the Psalms. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. Why are you so anxious within me? And I pray. Nothing magical. Just crying out to God. And he responds. Be alert, be sober, run to Christ in his word. I love that line, and a mighty fortress is our God. I love that verse. I think it's verse 3. Where Luther, who was this incredible man who led the Reformation in the Scripture, back towards the Scriptures, and led a Reformation of, our, of the Gospel. And I love that line. I've always been kind of fascinated by it, but... I think he's on to something when he says this. He says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his what? His truth, the word, to triumph through us. The prince of darkness, he is grim, but we tremble not for him, for his Rage we can endure. For lo, his doom is sure because one little word will fell him. It is the word of Christ. 
sober, sheep. Be aware, sheep. Run to the Word. Do you see why I'm so passionate about the Word of God? It's just not that He encourages it. just not that He gives direction. He protects you. He protects you. And then finally, look at how He ends. Trust God because He will strengthen and He will complete you. I've loved verse 11 ever since I came across it in seminary. I've loved it dearly. And after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory. That in and of itself is a great encouragement. No matter where you are, you're worried, you're suffering, you're discouraged. Remember this, the God of all grace. This is going all the way back to the very first sermon, maybe the second sermon. God of all grace and his wisdom and power has called you and said, you're coming to be like my son to eternal glory. And there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing has God called you and you you turn to Christ, that he moves you down this journey towards eternal glory. Peter's always looking towards eternal glory. You know how Peter dies? Peter dies, according to tradition, upside down on a cross. That's what they say. But he is singing. He is singing. The God of all grace has called me to his eternal glory. And in this life, he will do what? This is what I believe. He will strengthen me. It says he will restore what is broken, what is messed up, what is not whole. He'll put it back together. He will confirm. He will strengthen. And he will establish you. All of these words making right. If you're weak, he'll make you strong. If you're wobbly, he'll secure and he will settle you. Now, commentators go back and forth. They go, is this when when Christ comes again and we are revealed before Christ? And I do believe that absolutely what an incredible time when we will be whole and complete and finished. And we're like Christ. But I believe, this is just my personal opinion, I believe Peter is writing this to people who need strength for this life. And as Peter begins to grow them into, or as God begins to grow them into Christ-likeness, Peter says, the more and more you're confirmed and restored and strengthened and settled, the more and more you can do anything and you can suffer well. You can even go to a cross. You can even hang upside down singing, singing to him, verse 11, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's where God has called us. That's where God has called worried people, suffering people, shaky people. God has called them to trust because God is more powerful than you are. God has called you to great care because he cares more than you do. God has called you to a great warning. Look out. Be aware. But God has called you to great worship because he has dominion forever and ever, and he will finish what he has begun. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning to worried people. Lord, I pray that as we close, that you would speak to the worried heart suffering heart the unstable steps 
they sense power and care and worship this morning. We thank you for this book. Thank you for this journey. Father, we put Christ at the center, the one who humbled himself at Christmas time. He he humbled himself under your mighty hand so that you could raise him up. So at Christmas, Father, in, in this text, we see Christ elevated above us and we bow down before him and worship him. And for some, Father, we pray that today would be a day as they think through this and they understand the incredible love of Christ for them that it would be another step in the journey of following him. And for all of us, Lord, that worry, thank you for this word. For the glory of Christ, may it transform us. We pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.